Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Folks, today is the Church of the Nations, the body of churches that we relate to. It is the national, International Day of Prayer, and so we're going to give a little bit of time to that towards the end of our service. Um, and the theme is showing the way, and I'm going to pick up on this theme, but in some sense I'm going to be carrying on very much from what I shared last week concerning servanthood. Uh, Paul, would you mind just letting somebody in? Thank you, sir. Talking about showing the way, but what I really want to do this morning is I want to make this this thinking of showing the way, showing the way very practical and very personal. Before I do, I first want to read you a verse, and then I want to set up a hypothetical question. Now, I don't know about you, but doing what we do, dealing in hypotheticals is like a never-ending story. When you deal with a hypothetical situation, there could be a myriad of hypothetical variances and hypothetical outcomes. When you have a conversation in your head with somebody, have you ever done that? You're having a conversation with somebody. That's a hypothetical conversation because it's not real. Have you noticed you are always so intelligent, so well articulated, and so right in all of those conversations? And when you have those conversations with people, they are generally so contrite. They see the error of their ways, and they acknowledge the marvel of your wisdom. At least that's how mine go. But here's the verse I want to start off with. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. Jesus is not speaking about himself here. We would all say Jesus is the light of the world, wouldn't we? But Jesus, in this portion of Scripture, speaks to you and to me. And he, as our Lord, as our Savior, and as God Almighty says, you are the light of the world. You. A city which is on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, here's my hypothetical question. Imagine with me, if you would, for a moment, that somebody came into our building today as a sincere seeker who has heard about these people that they call Christians. And he comes into this place today and asks to go home with somebody among us so that he can observe and see for himself how the Christian life ought to be lived. Who would volunteer? <laughs> I knew somebody would say that. Thank you, Chris. You are the pastor. Surely the best person would be you. To which I have no rebuttal. That is a fully reasonable and legitimate argument. But a question, what it does in asking that question, do any of you feel that you are living the model Christian life? 
that somebody looking at what you would go, that's exactly what Jesus would have done. In other words, I don't have to say what would Jesus do. I'd say, what would Siobhan do? Because what Siobhan would do is exactly what Jesus would do. You raised your hand, brother. <laughs> ah, that's what he wanted to observe. So let's carry on with this train of thought. You know, if I ask you that question, you'd probably immediately think about your weaknesses and the area of your family life that still need work. If I bring him in, I can't invite so-and-so, or I'd better not watch this and that, or I'd better keep control. If I bring them in, oh, I'm gonna have to, I can't let them see inside my cupboards. Perhaps you're thinking about that especially strained relationship within your family that you'd rather wasn't on display. You'd probably think also about your many idiosyncrasies that could be misinterpreted. I have many of those. You know, things that I would say where my family and my wife know exactly what I mean and won't be offended. Other people, however might not be, or might well be. You'd also probably think about the way you conduct yourself in traffic on the way home. You'd probably think about what you do when the kids just aren't listening. Maybe you'll think about how you'll respond with this person's eyes on you once the boss leaves the room next time, as you now know that you are under the microscope. If I had to say to you, would you please take this person home, it is quite likely that you would quickly acknowledge that there are areas of your everyday life that you know need work before they resemble Christ-likeness. Would you agree with me on that statement? Perhaps you'd also be willing to acknowledge that you're deliberately overlooking some of these areas now, excusing them. Not, it's not too serious. It's not too, if no one knows about it, then it's fine. And you wouldn't really want somebody coming in and shining a light on those areas of your heart. Folks, the moment that you and I set out to measure ourselves against Christ and His standard, to hear a statement like, be, you are the light of the world, go and shine as Jesus would shine, go and represent Him well, we immediately compare ourselves to Him and we are met very quickly with the realization of just how far short we fall. Yet perhaps it is this very vulnerability, this acknowledgement that opens our lives up to the grace of Christ that we need to deal with those areas of our lives. You see, I think we all know that we fall short in areas. We acknowledge that we're now in our honest moments. But very often in life, we're so busy just keeping it all together, just managing everything that we are not allowing Christ in to work on those areas, to speak into those areas, to deal with those areas of our lives, because we're too busy with other things that are just far more important. But perhaps this vulnerability, that we need to acknowledge our, our need for help and open our hearts up to the flow of God's grace, perhaps that same vulnerability is exactly what the world around us actually wants to see. The honesty to acknowledge our weaknesses, our struggles, and yet not use them as excuses to justify our shortcomings, or our inaction, or even our indifference. I want to say this to you today. Jesus will never use your weaknesses or your shortcomings 
to condemn you or to belittle you. Never. Only our enemy does that. And that's why he is, a, he is called the accuser of the brethren. He's called the accuser. And what he loves to do is bring up into your mind all the things you should be doing and aren't. You are doing and shouldn't. That you could be doing better. That you could be doing more. And he will always strive to use your life to whip you with. Your shortcomings, your failures, your idiosyncrasies, your character flaws. But where the enemy uses our sin and brokenness to separate us from the love of God, Jesus demonstrates his love for us. Romans 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Why did Jesus have to die? Because none of us could become free from our sin without him. None of us. What does that mean, folks? That means that you have nothing to defend and nothing to prove. The moment you set out to do so, you've already lost that battle. Maybe what somebody does, maybe what all of us do need is the realization that, you know what, maybe somebody's not coming home with me today to see how I live out my Christian life. Maybe that's true. But is it also true that regardless of that, someone's always watching? Someone's always watching us when we're at home with our families. Our Lord Jesus is watching us. But when we step outside of our homes or when we invite people into it, the way we treat them, the way that we process their weaknesses says a lot about us. What do I mean by processing their weaknesses? When we come into contact with one another, we become subject to one another's flaws and foibles. Would you agree? You do things, you rant and rave, you may be impatient, you may have this weakness, you may have a foul mouth, you may have whatever it may be. And we come into contact with people like that every single day, and we need to process those things. And as we get closer to people in relationship, we not only become exposed to those things, we become the object of those things. Haven't you noticed how it's those who are closest to us that we generally treat the worst? Worst. With those that are closest to us, we feel we can let free, and they will understand. It's not right, but it's the truth. When we are exposed to the weaknesses of others, we have choices to make. We have to process those things. Because when we are exposed to other people's weaknesses and idiosyncrasies, certain emotions start welling up within us. We feel hard done by we acknowledge and we can see the wrong in their actions. And we can't condone it, can we? But it affects us. It affects us emotionally. And one of the responses we could have is very quickly to point out the things that they're doing wrong. To stand on our ground as the accuser. You are doing this wrong. Or probably we won't even do it face to face, but we'll tell somebody else what they did wrong. We're happy to acknowledge the wrongs of somebody else, not so happy when ours are in the light. We could have grace. We could feel pain, but what do we do with that pain? Do we continue to use their weakness, their flaw, their brokenness, their processing of their own stuff and their own hurt and their own emotions as reasons to withdraw? 
Well, I'm not going to draw near to them because they're just going to hurt me again. I'm not going to draw near to them until they apologize or until they sort this out. Are we going to allow those things to bring distance between us or are we going to process those things in a very different way? I want us to look today at something that happened in the life of Peter. And we're going to look at the relationship that Jesus had with Peter, which was, as we know, it was a roller coaster ride. It was up, it was down, it was fast, it was loop to loop, it was round this way and round that way. This was an emotional man. And we're going to pick up the story. We're going to read a fair, fair amount of scripture this morning just to, to frame a narrative. But if you would picture with me the Last Supper, towards the end of Jesus' life and ministry, he journeyed with these disciples for a period of three years. He now knew Peter well. Peter thought he knew Jesus pretty well as well. Peter was the one who had this amazing revelation and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, wow, you, what an amazing revelation. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And the next moment, Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan, because all now puffed up, he says to Jesus, you will never go to the cross. And Jesus says to him, don't tell me things I want to hear. That's what he means when he says, you're a stumbling block to me. So there's this relationship that's been going on for a long time. And so we come to the Last Supper, and there's this embarrassing situation that's happened where nobody's organized the slave to wash people's feet. And everyone felt that awkward shame of not wanting to do it themselves. And then Jesus picks up the cloth and the, and the bowl, and he comes, and then there's that like, awkward moment. And Peter says, no, 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 this is wrong. There's something wrong here. You're not going to wash my feet. And, of course, Jesus says, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part of me. And then, of course, Peter being Peter, he says, wash the whole of me. He's not getting undressed. He says, Peter, Peter, wait. Peter, wait. Your feet is fine. And so we have this moment where Jesus has humbled himself despite being their Lord and he's washed their feet and he says to them, this is what I want you to do also for one another. And then he talks about the accuser being among them, the, the betrayer. And you can just imagine with me the conversation. Is it you? Who do you think it's going to be? I bet you it's going to be Paul. You think, yeah, we agree. And Paul is whispering to someone else, I bet you it's going to be Michael. And they go, yeah. And now all of a sudden, somebody says, well, it's not going to be me. Oh, it's not going to be me either. I would never do something like that. Oh, you, you would never do something like that. I would never do, because I have so much. And, I am so, and immediately they get into this conversation about which one of them is the greatest. I would never betray him because, duh. You might because, duh. And so we're pointing out other people's weaknesses. We are puffing up our own egos and defending ourselves and, and batting against every ball that is bowled towards us, say, showing how great each one is. And this is where we pick up the story. Within minutes, Luke twenty two twenty four, 24, they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus intervened. The man has just washed their feet. He's just said to them, I want you guys to do likewise. And Jesus says, kings like to throw their weights around and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles, but it's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior and let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? In other words, the one who sits at the table and is served by a waiter or would you rather be the waiter? 
You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I've taken my place among you as one who serves. And so Jesus here sets the standard. He sets the qualifying characteristic for those who will lead like he intends. This is really pulling in from all we shared last week about the servant heart. The call that Jesus makes to you and I when he says, I want you to shine, and now he shows us how he wants us to shine. I want you to shine not by being like everybody else who's trying to prove themselves, who's trying to defend themselves to keep their reputation perfect. I just want you to get underneath people and serve them. That's how you will shine. That's how you're going to stand out. And then he warns of how Satan will soon seek to disqualify the disciples in their own hearts and minds. He carries on a little bit later in the same chapter from verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, he's talking to Peter. This is very confusing, I know. Simon Peter. Now, just bear with me one moment here. We've had this moment, this this corporate moment where they've been arguing. Jesus addresses them all. There's no indication that Jesus draws away and has a private conversation with Peter because it doesn't specifically say that. So we don't know whether Jesus said this to the group or whether he said this to Peter, apart from the group. But Jesus is clearly addressing Peter in the midst, sorry, forgive me here, whether he addressed Peter in the midst of the group or whether he pulled him away and addressed him. But he's talking to Peter here and he says this, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now we need to understand something. This word you here in this verse is the word plural. It's a plural word. It's not just talking about Peter. It's talking about the disciples. But the very next sentence, it changes to the singular. So Jesus is talking to Peter here, and he says, Satan has asked for you. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, so in other words, Jesus knew something was going to go down. You cannot return to somebody you are with. Jesus knew a departure was coming. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I'm looking to you here, Peter. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall crow this day. Shall, I beg your pardon. The rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. I will never do that. Have you ever heard the saying, never say never? Peter wasn't familiar with that saying. I will never depart from you. I will never disown you. I will go with you right to the end. And so we see shortly after that, they go to the garden of Gethsemane. Can you pray with me for an hour? He says to his disciples and they fall asleep and then that repeats itself. And eventually Judas comes with a a bunch of soldiers He kisses Jesus to betray him, to fulfill all scripture. Betrayed him with a kiss, a sign of affection. Peter, being Peter, what does he do? He draws a soldier's sword, has a lash at him, clearly not trained very well, only gets the ear. Praise God, Jesus sorts that out. And then we have this thing where Jesus is now taken away. And the disciples don't quite know what to do, but it seems they follow him, but from a distance. And we're going to pick up the story again from verse 54 of Luke 22. And they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. 
And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, so he's thinking now, okay, that was a close call. After an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The rooster crowed. And in that moment, you can imagine, Peter realized that everything he had promised Jesus had fallen to the floor. That his best intentions to be a man by Jesus' side, loyal, faithful, militant even, was undermined by his own fear and insecurity. That rooster crow brought back to him the words of Jesus that he said would never happen to him. Verse 61, And when the rooster crowed, when that sound echoed out, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out wept bitterly. I've often thought about this very moment. What was in the Lord's eyes as he looked at Peter? Riddled with guilt, crippled by shame, having denied his Lord. And every time I picture this in my head and I look at Jesus, I don't believe for a second that Jesus looked at Peter with judgment. He already knew what was happening. I believe that Jesus looked at Peter with deep love and empathy, knowing that the darkest night of his soul was now upon him. And Peter left. He could could not stay in the presence of that gaze because he was stripped and vulnerable and broken in that moment. And he went away, and the Bible says he wept bitterly. And then we know that Jesus goes through his trial. He is ultimately wrongfully crucified, buried, raised again. And in the last moments of Peter's intimate walk with Jesus, the last encounter he had probably before he saw him dead was a denial of him. The ultimate disqualification. And yet we see a beautiful story towards the end of the book of John. And if you read the title in your Bible, it's called The Restoration of Peter. Peter and his mates don't know what to do. They've heard Jesus has been resurrected, but they don't see... I mean, they've seen him a couple of times, but they don't know what to do anymore. There's 
They followed him for three years. He was going to turn this whole kingdom upside down. He was going to change everything, and now he's gone. He's somehow risen, but he's not here anymore. And so Peter does what probably all of us would have done. Since I don't know what to do, I'm going to go back to what I used to do. And so he says to the guys, I'm going fishing. And they say, all right, we're going to come with you. And they go out in the boat, and they don't catch anything. It's one of those nights, you know, just to add insult to injury. We can't even do this right anymore. And in the morning time, so they've obviously fished all night, Jesus comes down to the beach, and he's made a breakfast braai. He's got some bread there, toasting the buns on the grill. He's got some fish on the grill, and he says to the guys, Hey, have you caught anything? And they look back and think, who's this guy? Because they didn't know it was him. He said, no, it's been a slow night. There's no, no bites tonight. He says, throw your nets on the other side. And for some strange reason, they listen to him. And then when the nets are full and they can't pull them up again, John says to Peter, it's the Lord. This is reminiscent of things that happen when he's around. It must be him. And so Peter, being Peter, grabs his tunic, puts it on, dives into the water, and swims to the shore. And Jesus says, hey, bring some of those fish you guys have got. And they bring them in. We're going to need more fish. I wasn't expecting all of you guys. I was just here for Peter. But he didn't say it that way. He said, bring some more fish. We'll make this work. I'll multiply it at the last time. You guys can bring your own this time. And then they sat around a fire and they had breakfast. And we're going to pick it up in John 21, 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Let's just harken back. Weren't they just in that room a few days ago arguing about who was the greatest, who loved Jesus more? Wasn't Peter the one who stuck up his hand and says, ah, they may deny you, I will never deny you. And Jesus pushes right on that button. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than all of these? He's, he's broken. What do you say to that? I thought I did, but I clearly don't. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. Interesting words here. I'm not going to go into the meaning of that, but Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And he says, Lord, I phileo you. I mean, I love you like a, but I can't say that I love you the way I thought I love you. I can't say that I love you the way you love me. I can't say that I love you the way I know deep down inside my soul. I should be able to say that I love you because I've seen myself fall and break this love time and time again. I no longer trust myself to say those words. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. And we don't know whether it was the very next sentence or whether, like that night, it was an hour between these questions. But then a third time, Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. 
You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus, uh, three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. Three times Jesus said to him, Do you love me? Three times Peter said, I love you. I love you. You know, Jesus didn't ask those questions because he needed to hear those words. Jesus asked those questions because Peter needed to hear those words coming out of his own mouth. I look upon beloved people here today who God loves, for whom he shed the blood of his, he had the blood of his own son shed. And I know that in your hearts, all of you would say, I love you, Lord. But there is an accuser who would say to you daily, really? Look at this. What about that? You've hardly got time for him, and you say you love him? What about the way you treated so-and-so? What about that thing that you gave into? What about all these things that you've done? Remember in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, I want you to strengthen your brethren. And there he says, you love me? I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to minister to, my bre to, to your brethren. I want you to look after these people. So often, this moment when we look at it just in isolation becomes about just me and Jesus, as, it, as if it was between just Peter and Jesus. And there's a part of truth to that. There is a, that's where it begins. But the outworking of that moment of Jesus coming to your, into your life and coming into my life saying, I know what you did. I knew you were going to do it before you even did it, before it was even a thought in your mind, before the words even came out of your mouth. I knew you were going to speak them. But yet I gave my life for you all the same because I love you. Do you love me? And as we respond and say, Lord Jesus, you are more gracious than I deserve. I do love you and I thank you for your forgiveness and for your love. He would say to you, as he would say to me, as he said to Peter that day, then I want you to look after your brothers and your sisters. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to minister to the needs of those around you. Folks, you and I can either go through life judging one another and become partakers of the ministry of the accuser of the brethren, setting up walls around ourselves to keep people out because of the stuff they've got going on in their lives. Or we can be like Jesus, who despite Peter's weaknesses, looked at him and felt his pain in the moment when his soul was being rendered inside of him. Rend, rendered, torn. We can either judge one another or we can continue to strengthen and affirm one another in love. What's it going to be? Because it's impossible for it to be both. We're talking fundamentally about a binary decision of two kingdoms that are at work within the world today. The kingdom of darkness that looks to conceal, that seeks to undermine, 
bring about shame and condemnation or the kingdom of the Son of God's love. I want to go to where I started this morning. Let your light, your light of love and your light of affirmation so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is what I want us to pray for today. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.